And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 215. Our guest today is Bob Schlegel, author of the new book, Angels and Entrepreneurs, a lifestyle formula for starting your own business and riding the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. In 1980, Bob and a partner launched Pavestone Company, a manufacturer of concrete landscape products, which struggled in the late 80s due to the recession, but rebounded and became the nation's largest supplier of concrete landscaping products for big box and commercial customers. Bob shares his experiences, his failures, as well as his successes, with the goal of inspiring others to start their own businesses. Good morning, Bob. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning, Craig. Great to be here. It's great you have me on board in the studio and so fascinating. Your background and your entrepreneurial life and your personal life in so many ways. What triggered you to invest the time and effort to write this book? Looking after my seven grandkids. And while you could train your kids or your wife could train your kids, between the two of us, we're happy with our family. But our grandkids, we sort of never get a chance to really show them much. So I want to give them a little bit of our legacy and uh, heritage and show the sort of things that are possible and how we got there. It's an amazing path. And so appreciating that you share it with everyone through this book. There's amazing learnings going on. And I like the layout of the book. One of the things you dive into that I really liked was the foundational pillars And you mentioned this quite often and thoroughly. And could you share some of the pillars and some of the elements involved in philosophy and how they align with success? They have an acronym for it called PEP, P-E-P. Take the energy and enthusiasm, you know, of a little kid. If you make too much noise, you're energetic. Mother said you're full of PEP. You're bad kid in the class or something because you're always full of energy. But in any case, I took that acronym, P-E-P, and the first transfer, Persistence, I think persistence is the most important sort of entrepreneurship for sure in any business and really in life, especially in business. You can never give up, start working on it. If it doesn't, you're going to fail. You're going to fail a lot, especially your first business. So I think fail is another acronym for first attempt in learning, F-A-I-L. And I think everything I've done, I've failed at it the first time or two or three, including you know high school and college and everything else. So I think you just have to take it as a learning experience. You learn more from failures than successes in a lot of times. And then uh, also persistence really... You don't have to be smarter than your competition or smarter than your even people you work with. That's have to be more persistent to really drive things forward. The other one is the E is education. I think education is right up there with anything you can gain in life. I think education is the greatest thing you can acquire because nobody can take it away from you. So the more education you can get, the better off you're going to be in business and again in life. And I'm a great believer in Malcolm Gladwell's The Outliers, his book about the 10,000 hours. I think that's an important part of the education process. You need the 10,000 hours. You can call it an apprenticeship, call it you're getting your feet wet. There's an accountant, I'm a CPA. And when you come out of university, you think you know everything about accounting, but you really find out in the next 10,000 hours. In the accounting world, that's about two or three years because you're working you know, 100-hour weeks a lot. Get your 10,000 hours in that way. And you really need that to really complete your education. Then the other E is entrepreneurship. It's a really a lifestyle, especially with growing in a family and by the time our kids were graduating, running off to school and taking jobs, they knew as much about entrepreneurship as we did because they lived through it for all their lives around the kitchen table. And then the last P is really for passion. I think you have to be passionate about what you do. If you don't love your work, you're not a very happy guy. But if you do love your work, then you never work a day in your life because you're pretty excited about getting there. And with the passion comes purpose, gives you a reason to get up in the morning 
and really uh, jump out of bed and you want to get back to work, back to the shop, back to the office, back to your customers, and really you'll work on your successful career and business from that point onward. There's so much there that you're sharing. And it was real world because of the many, many years in business that you've been involved with. And growing some of these businesses on the surface, they didn't look easy at first. And I was just wondering, what were some of the largest lessons you learned along the way? Probably the biggest lesson is you have to take all your stakeholders as partners. You're trying to create a win-win situation with everyone you deal with. Even whether you have financial partners, all of your customers, your suppliers, your vendors, your employees, they're all stakeholders and they're all effectively partners, all trying to get a win-win situation. When a customer buys something, he needs to get good value and you're making it have to good value and return on your investment for putting it together. So the whole stakeholder thing, I think, is so important. And you have to really work to create the win-win on both sides of every deal, every transaction, every sale that you make. Bamba is curious, knowing all of the businesses you've been involved with and a tremendous growth and some major corporation functions. Tell me about the lifestyle and how you achieve so much in this time and still really doing well on a continuum. So many of us in our businesses, we feel like we're going to burn out next year and we're not going to make that retirement at all. What's the trick? What are we missing? I like to set BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, and keep that at the right-hand side of your spreadsheet when you're looking at your goals. And then as you keep you know, taking bites of the elephant, we had the Pavestone company, the largest company we had. We had it for 32 years. And eventually sold it for a, a pretty nice price, even though we had it for sale you know, four years earlier for a really, really good price. But I think you get started and your growth comes towards the, the latter years always. At Pavestone Company, we started in 1980. It took us 14 years to get to $10 million. So you're grinding out every nickel you could for 14 years. Right? So by 1994, we were at $10 million and starting to make a little bit of money. Nothing great, but it was a nice little company. And then from that point on, we grew 40% a year until the year 2000. So then we ended up by year 19, five more years after the 14 years, we hit $100 million. So we grew $90 million in five years. And then we stuck off a little bit. We grew up every three years, we grew $100 million. So by 2006 and seven, we were doing a $400 million company and rolling along pretty nicely. And that's when we got an offer to sell it for like nine times our EBITDA and uh, would have been you know, a huge number. And we were all set to close that deal until something nasty happened. In closing day, we got a call from the Federal Trade Commission and their Hart Scott Rodino review indicated, in their mind, anti competitive procedures with the big box retail stores. And they killed the deal on us. That must have been devastating, Bob. How did you react? That was nasty. So that was 2008, just before uh, you recall the Great Recession. I recall. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that took us. We, after growing for really 28 years till 2007, we were pretty much shocked when the deal was canceled. And then um, as we had farther in 2008, we'd see the, the nasty dark clouds. And so in 2008, our sales dropped after growing 40% a year for, for 10 years. Sales dropped and that. We dropped, we were only down about 10%, but 10% is pretty big on you know, 400 million. Where the big building supply companies, they were down 70 and 80%, you know, brick manufacturers and lumber and all that kind of stuff. The building industry just came to a screeching halt. We were in the landscape business, so it didn't quite suffer so much, but it's still after three or four years, you're still down 30, 40%. And that all comes out of your marginal EBITDA profit. Our EBITDA you know, was cut in by about 70%. But we still struggled along and didn't miss any bank debt payments, but, it, but we busted all our covenants. The banks got pretty ugly, and we struggled through the next couple of years until we found another uh, equity partner to give us a boost for a year or two. I know in the book, in Chapter 7, you talk about 
dealing with bad times. And certainly trying to navigate through that mess was really hard for all of us that were running businesses during that time frame. And it sounds like it was really difficult for you. I myself remember <laughs> negotiations with banks trying to manage those covenants when you know you weren't going to meet the test or even come close. You know, and you're trying to get them to hang in there with you and trying to figure out how to keep things moving in the right direction. And, you know, right now there's been a lot of businesses going through this pandemic that there's been winners and losers like there always is, right? But there's been some businesses that have just been devastated, bricks and mortar businesses struggling to hang on. What message do you have for those owners that are feeling that pain right now that, you know, are just fatigued after two years of dealing with this? Because during the process, you got to be just be honest and truthful with your people, especially your lenders. We were able to you know, get some, a little bit of angel investor for a year or two, and that helped us a lot struggle through that. But the chapter seven you mentioned, I call it GEO, my GOI chapter, get over it. You know, and I'm a great believer in putting that stuff behind you and starting fresh because we all, we all went through that. It was nasty and ugly, but you got to put it behind you and you can't let it ruin the rest of your life. So I even tell my kids I'd get over it every time somebody does you wrong or you know, does you bad, or you're feeling terrible. You just get over it and start fresh and turn a new page. And, you know, beyond just mindset, what are some things you can do to help get over it? I think reset your big, hairy, audacious goals and redo your day-to-day you know, plan. From the business perspective, I like to set my key performance indicators, put them in line with your new goals and monitor them. What measured, what's measured matters to your staff and to your people. So we do a daily check on your iPhone now. It numbers are every hour during the day. Uh, you said daily KPI meetings or call phone calls. And talk about their numbers and and what the plan is for the rest of the week. Yeah, so I guess it's sort of recalibrating and saying, okay, you know, we're on a different timeline now, right? (laughs) We just said, this is what we got in front of us. So how do we have to adjust these goals and what can we get behind and what resources do we have that we can start moving towards those things? Absolutely. And review your your stakeholders and your customers are changing, your suppliers are changing. Probably terms are changing on your purchase. Sometimes they're better, sometimes they're worse on you getting your suppliers. Your inventory is probably not worth as much as it used to be. You know, things like that can affect you. So another thing I appreciate, you know, in this fantastic book, Angels and Entrepreneurs, I love that title. When you talk about yourself, you describe yourself as a less than enthusiastic student. And, and I love that because I work with a lot of students and I've always been kind of a lifetime learner. But there was definitely times where I've gotten very frustrated with book learning. So tell me, how were you able to achieve success in spite of this sort of resistance to uh, being a student? Yeah, <laughs> well, I was definitely the C student. I was guys that never got the Bs because I never got A's neither. <laughs> so I, uh, I love math. I was pretty good at math. But anything else, um, all the English courses I managed to flunk them the first time or second and sometimes the third time. But being persistent, I guess, and struggling through it, nothing like summer school, you know, and uh, did that all the time. So I think it's just, just struggling through it and battling along and one bite at a time. I just keep struggling through it. I guess if you fail, you try to pick it up and try it all again. Yeah, it's amazing. And so was it just the math that as you found your way to business, like how did you find your way? What was your first entrepreneurial venture? And was it the math that helped you or what clicked for you when you got into entrepreneurship? Uh, well, I did a bunch of little ones, of, you know, little investments here and there. In the book, my car bar, it was a pretty cool deal back when I was 16 years old. A little, little device you put under your dash and it makes like a kind of like a Keurig coffee maker but it takes the heat from your engine and makes hot water and coffee and soup and that kind of stuff. So when I looked at that, it was going to be a great invention and all the cars would have it, you know, by the late seventies. And so I bought a franchise of that and for $300, which was all the money I had at the time. And that was sort of my first business failure. 
But you learn a lesson, you know, do your diligence and every failure is a huge lesson and experience. The way you get good judgment, you know, is from experience and you get experience from bad judgments. You need to run through them all to end up with a good judgment. Bob, one of the items that comes up a lot with our listeners is how do I build my team and what am I looking for and what do I not look for? And as far as my background, building the team became the most important part. It can really lead to success or failure. Tell me about your experiences. Well, I'm kind of a power positive thinking kind of guy. So I like, if I interview three or four guys for, say, a sales manager position, I end up liking them all. So I need to get get advice from advisors in my team and really try and narrow it down. We've gone through, you know, personality testing and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure anything works as good as just hiring the best guy you can. And then and if you made the right decision, that's great. If you don't, then you have to make corrections. I understand. And one of your chapters I loved was business Sudoku. Wondering, what does that mean to you and how does that work out? And Sudoku is the right number in the box. Right? So it's like get everybody in the right seat on the bus, which is another great book. Getting your team assembled and to make sure everybody's doing the job that they're best at. We do a lot of that juggling people around and promoting people and switching assignments and See what they love doing and then try and get everybody lined up you know, doing what they like to do and try and um, align that up with your customers' goals and your raw materials and your manufacturing procedures and that sort of thing. Well, Bob, what is keeping you busy now? You've been very, very active for many years and success and early failures, but you've really done a great job in your philanthropy work today. Tell me what your balance today is in work and pleasure. We have a company, a real active company we work on is called Bedrock Logistics, really the freight division of Pavestone that I started in 1980. So I took that, I kept that. When people bought Pavestone, they didn't need the freight because they already had a couple thousand of their own trucks. So I said, well, I'll keep that one and see if I can do it one more time as a challenge. So it was about a $10 million division when we sold the big company in 2012. And we did $150 million last year and hope to do $250 million this year. So we're still trying to get that growth thing going. It's a changing world in the logistics and supply chain, as you know. So it's challenging, but we're just a broker. We don't have trucks. We just line up shippers with carriers and try and make that work, keep our truckers happy and keep our customers happy. Everything gets there on time. People don't care what color truck products are delivered on. So we have about 10,000 carriers we pick our carriers from and line them up with the person that's best capable of getting the product to the customer's site as soon as possible. Another item that I read was the element of your largest competitor and perspective as far as how you treat them. Tell me more about that. I think it's important to know your competitors, especially now with Google. You know, all the information about them is not much as private anymore. So you can Google them, but it's nice to meet them and trade associations. Everybody's working on you know, minimum quality standards and warranty standards and, and that sort of thing that's typical in any industry. I think it's good to meet them and know your competitors. For me, it worked out very well person ended up buying us was one of our competitors who we had dinner with them sort of once a year at conferences and that kind of stuff. So when our business came for sale, it was a bit of an emergency the last time because our other investor had company was sold the whole thing. And so every change of control, we had a first right of refusal and it was a 30-day clause to act in. So we had to do a quick accept our first right of refusal and exercise our purchase rights. We had to close in 30 days. It's a pretty tough gig in a lot of circumstances. But my phone started ringing as soon as it was announced the company was going through some changes which was one of our competitors, they called us and said that we missed buying this company the last two or three times it was available. Now we don't want to lose it this time. So what do we have to do? So just the fact that we knew them so well, they basically came in and did almost no due diligence because they knew us so well and had known the industry. They came in and bought it for the acceptable price. And we closed within 30 days and they taken it a platform and basically quadrupled the size of it since that point as using our business as a platform. And now it's a couple billion dollar operation. 
It's amazing. The other item that I was curious about is bringing business values and your own values together. How did that map out over your years? I'm happy with how it's checking out. I'm a great believer in education and really want to support growing. When I started a school of entrepreneurship in my hometown of Waterloo, Canada, my alma mater, which was the home of the Blackberry. So it's a real high tech, the Silicon Valley of Canada in some respects. So I started that as a sort of school when I was at school. Uh, one of my profs one day said the best way to succeed and create wealth in our careers is to get a job in the Fortune 500 company. So it occurred to me that that's probably a good idea, but um, I'm not the best student and there's only Fortune 500 companies that I can be CEO of. So it didn't appeal to that appealing. There's 350 million people in North America. Being one of 500 for me wasn't a choice. So, but the entrepreneurship, my dad had entrepreneurial and his from farming to massive production dealership and the garages and things like that. So to me, it seemed to me the way to get ahead is be an entrepreneur and grow it and set your BHAGs and measure your KPIs and what's measured matters and really create a enterprise that gives you the ability and resources to support education and whatever else charities you believe in. Bob, when we come into businesses as entrepreneurs, we have a choice of either building something from scratch or buying something. What's been your experience? Well, buying is always easier if you have the money. It's all about the money, isn't it? So if, if you have the resources, you can buy something or take over a division from maybe a company you work for or something that's uh, in trouble and needs to be turned around, a bankruptcy or something like that. If you can if you do that, to mention my story about my 14 years to get to $10 million, or you can buy a company at you know $10 million of value, you can save those 14 years and just go in and, and keep building. But typically for me, I didn't have the resources. So the first ones we had to start from scratch. And that's where Pavestone came from. We're mostly, you know, skunk work starting up in a garage somewhere. So that works and it works very well for a lot of people. So buying is always quicker and better if you have the resources. But most people like me is you're starting in a garage and you're building from scratch. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here and great to talk to you and appreciate having the opportunity. You guys are, are both pretty powerful business guys yourself. I'm very impressed. Well, it's been our pleasure. And I was wondering, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our audience today? I think the big thing is never give up. Be persistent and never give up. Our guest today has been Bob Schlegel, author of the new book, Angels and Entrepreneurs, a lifestyle formula for starting your own business and riding the roller coaster of entrepreneurship. You can learn more about Bob as well as find links to his book and background all in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.